What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue our series on the book of the Revelation to John. We've had a couple of sermons on this already, and so far it hasn't been all that bad. Often we think of Revelation as a book filled with scenes of hell or punishment from strange creatures, but really the only thing we've had so far is a beautiful vision of Jesus and a reminder to the church to love God and others like they once did at the beginning. When you first came to the church, when you first committed to God's community, you loved the people. Do that again, he says. Don't just believe the right thing or even do the right thing, but do both to the very end. Keep at this so you can have the victory that God has for you in paradise. Those are some really great encouragements to us, but now things are going to get a little weird. Eric is going to read for us in a moment. After a message to seven different churches, John is at once in the Spirit, and he sees a throne. There's thunder and lightning, but the ocean looks like glass, and these bizarre creatures are singing, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It's weird and beautiful when we come to today's scripture, but it's only going to get stranger as we also talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Let's listen to our scripture for today from the book of the Revelation, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb, standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden balls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God, saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders, They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing. To the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. 
And from Isaiah 6, verses 6 through 8, then one of the seraphs, a kind of angel, flew to me holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Move our hearts and our lives toward you. As we consider the Lamb and the seven seals, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This past week, our Vacation Bible School program was in full swing. We had a stellar theme involving space and the many mysteries we find there, like stars and black holes. Throughout the experience, we reminded our campers to shine Jesus' light. We learned about a lot of weird and interesting things from space and from the Bible, but none of it compares to what we see described in the book of Revelation. I asked my boys if they would help me out today by making a drawing of what I was about to read them. I then read Revelation 5, verse 6, about a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered with seven horns and seven eyes, and they drew some pictures for me. So strange, isn't it? A lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. It seems so bizarre. It's almost as if it doesn't make any sense at all. Perhaps the most important thing to keep in mind all the way through the reading of the book of Revelation is that the author isn't exactly trying to make sense. Even as he describes these fantastic and surreal circumstances, he uses words that clue us in that he's talking about something that cannot be pictured or captured in words. Let's look at a few specific things. At the start of this chapter, we hear about the one seated on the throne. The chapter before it described it, around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. What color is an emerald? Green. And what color is a rainbow? Well, it's a bunch of colors, right? So either our translation is bad or John is describing something that is simply indescribable. A little later, it's these creatures around the throne with six wings, quote, full of eyes all around and inside. How is John seeing inside these creatures? Are they transparent? Or is he simply saying they have eyes everywhere so that they can see everything that happens even inside of people? This is how the book goes over and over. It's confusing often because the words don't just describe what is seen. It may be about an idea or something that is felt. Last week we talked about the number seven and how it's not just a number but can mean perfection or completion. In this chapter, a lamb having seven horns and seven eyes is not meant to be literal. It's an idea. Horns were symbols of power and eyes meant seeing and knowing. A lamb with seven horns meant it had total power, and having seven eyes meant it could see and know all things. Its power and knowledge were total and complete. 
The lamb, of course, is not just a sheep. It's a symbol of Jesus who died for us. John is poetically saying Jesus has all power and knowledge. Remember that the Roman Empire figure is huge in all this. Anything that challenges the Roman emperor, Caesar, could be a cause for punishment by death. John is indirectly describing Jesus as superior to any political leader, even at the risk of his own death. To do this, he is using similes and metaphors. He is not describing things as he sees them. He is describing it indirectly through the lens of political reality and a theological reality. Did John actually see an emerald rainbow, if such a thing exists? Did he see eyes inside the six-winged creatures and a lamb with seven eyes and horns? Or is he saying something else, making a much larger point with all these wild descriptions? Throughout all we hear, we need what David De Silva calls a disciplined imagination. What we hear about can lead us to think all kinds of things. We have to try our best, though, to stay close to where the writer is pointing us. I mentioned our Vacation Bible School program. We had a lot of great science experience we we did, and one of them from this past week I think can help us here, too. Uh, It involves a laser pointer. You can see where someone is pointing the laser pointer because you see the light as it makes contact with an object, right? But what we don't see is the beam all the way from the laser pointer to the point where it makes contact. We may think uh, because we don't see it, there is nothing in between, but that's not true. We took some hairspray and sprayed it between the two points, and what do you know? All the way through, there is a beam that we just can't see. How true that is for us when it comes to the book of Revelation. We may see an end point of Jesus triumphant over all things, but we can get quite lost and confused along the way. A disciplined imagination keeps us on the path, hearing these wonderful descriptions, but staying on course toward the goal of rightly understanding these stories. Otherwise, we just wind up with weird-looking sheep. Sometimes we can walk into the church sanctuary and find things that will help our imagination stay disciplined. When our Vacation Bible School campers did Bible adventures with me, we were actually in this part of the church, spending time in the narthex and the bell tower and here in the sanctuary. At one point, I told them about the death of Jesus, and we came forward to the chancel area. For many of you, this space feels sacred. It's just different when you walk up past those communion rails. I invited them forward to the space to use disciplined imagination to reflect on the death of Jesus. We looked up at the cross, and I asked them what they noticed about it. They said it had letters. They thought it said T-N-R-T. We have a little line that runs through the middle of the symbol here, and it confused them. Uh, And it's actually I-N-R-I, and I've always read it as INRI. Uh, What do those letters mean? I told them the I's are actually J's in Hebrew, and it's Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. In ancient times, the king was Rex, like Tyrannosaurus Rex, king of the dinosaurs. Jesus was called King, the Rex 
of the Jews. And every time we see those letters on a cross, we are reminded of this great truth. Jesus is king even in death. That's all well and good, but what does that have to do with us? As we continue through the journey of this story, it's certainly not all sunshine and roses. The real action of this book begins in chapter 6, where the seven seals are opened up. Heaven is singing and crying out for joy because Jesus, the lamb that was slain, is worthy to open the scroll with seven seals on it. But as these seven seals are opened, calamity falls on the earth. The first four of those seven seals are, are known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Each one brings something terrible. The first, violence, then war, then famine, and finally, death. Why is Jesus, the one opening the seals, bringing these terrible things to earth? It seems awful on its surface, doesn't it? And that's where we come in. John is writing about God's power. Over and over he says that power is in Jesus' hands. So why would God allow such awful things here on earth? Different people will answer this in different ways, but in most of the Christian church and in our church, we understand that God has given people free will. God gave away some of his power to people. And because people can misuse that power... God has given to them, some people will choose to do what the four horsemen of the apocalypse have done. Over and over, people will use violence, war, famine, and death to intimidate and control people. We don't have to look far to see this happening. We could talk about the global conflict between Russia and the Ukraine or the civil war in Ethiopia, but closer to home, we have hate groups training members for violence against perceived enemies. Now, it doesn't really matter too much what you believe. Eventually, a group that has hate at its core is going to come for me and you. Martin Niemöller said it years ago. They came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me, and by that time, no one was left to speak up. Hate destroys everything around it, and some people will choose to use their free will to hate. It will inevitably lead to war and famine and death. It's in us, too. We do this in our everyday lives. Human misuse of power brings on suffering and death. Now, this can be confusing to us. If God has all power, why would he allow this suffering? Why doesn't he stop it? Why doesn't he help me? And here we see something of an answer in Revelation. God will help you. God will stop it. God is not helpless or frustrated by our human misuse of power. This world is still under the eternal laws of right and wrong. So we know inevitably, one day, justice will come. One day, all things will be made right. Now, the four horsemen of the apocalypse could be something that literally happens at some point, but I am much more concerned about the real destruction happening right now from these forces. 
God didn't just give the bad guys free will. We have it too. We have free will and we can do something right now to change this world for the better, to stop war, to stop violence and hunger. We can make a choice to help people around us and to strongly and passionately encourage our political leaders to do the same thing. God gave us that power. If we stand with God, then we work toward the goals God has for this world, working for truth and justice. That's why I'm so proud that our church took on the challenge of doing another family promise meal. We asked for an extra donation this Easter to help people in need, and we got it. So many of you came to me after church that day and said, put me down, I'll give whatever you need. I don't know if you've noticed, but prices for everything are going up, and yet you gave anyways. What a gift. You are putting that horseman of famine in an early grave. You are combating food insecurity directly by giving the homeless one more meal to help them keep going while they find work and and a home so they can get off the street. This is a win-win for everyone, and you are making it happen. Praise God. Now, things may still not quite feel right about the Scripture. Sure, we can work toward good in this world, but all that war and destruction and revelation— How is that possible? And why would Jesus breaking the seven seals be the one making it happen? One thing to consider in all this is something called a diptych. It was this ancient piece of art that was bound together by a hinge. It would actually have two drawings on it, but they were connected and they were meant to be considered together. Two different scenes, one overarching truth. A classic diptych you can see in the Met Museum in New York is of the Annunciation and the Nativity scene. Both point toward Jesus' arrival in the world. When we put together a scene of a lamb with seven horns and seven seals that wreck havoc on the world, John is doubling down saying all power, all of this, both to build up, heal, and help, as well as to tear down, punish, and destroy all of this, will ultimately be in Jesus' hands. But if you stare at those two pictures long enough, maybe you can see in it that there is a small window of opportunity. For a little while, God has given some power to us. When you do good in this world— You can spare a few lives, maybe even a few hundred lives. You can make some food for people so they're not hungry anymore. Or show a little love so peace is the path chosen instead of war. You might feel small. You might feel like you don't have any power at all. But you can make a difference. Jesus gives you the power to change the world. At Vacation Bible School, I watched a little girl cry at the start of one of our days. Several of us went over and checked in on her, but nothing seemed to work. Finally, one of our teen volunteers, Juliet, scooted next to her, said a few words that I'm sure were, Would it be okay if I sat next to you? To which the little girl said yes. And Juliet sat with her the whole time. The little girl stopped crying and started having fun. 
Juliet with a few simple words and a beautiful gesture that came from being other-centered brought joy to that little girl. You may not think you have much to give, but Juliet reminds all of us that we do. Let's end with this. Uh, Several years ago, Diane Granito founded the Heart Gallery. It's a program that uses photography to help older foster children find a family. A prominent art gallery donated space and had over a thousand people on opening night looking at these children who are traditionally more difficult to place in a home. She would coax out the unique personalities in hundreds of children for these incredible photos. Compare that to the typical photos in a child's file that are described as like mug shots. More than 120 other heart galleries have opened up across the country, and they have led to more than double the nationwide rate of adoption from foster care. One woman using her gift of a camera to take pictures has brought hundreds of families together. It's true that all power belongs to Jesus. He is the lamb and he is worthy to open the seven seals that can bring devastation to this planet. But in the meantime, God has given each of us free will, a little power to effect real change. I urge you to use it to bring good to this world. Not down the road, not sometime, but today. Change a person's life for the good because Revelation reminds us Jesus has given you the chance to bless someone this very day. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.